and welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul, my co-host Justin Baker. Joining me as we do the second half of the Pacific Division. Good morning, Justin. Hi, good morning. It's uh it's a maybe not rare, but it's an uncommon moment when we actually do a show in the morning. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, though. I I have to put on pants for this still too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean I have shorts on, but same same deal. Um yeah, we uh we promised we were only going to do one episode per the remaining divisions, um, at least for the the Metro and the Pacific. And, uh, you know, as life would have it, I think it's my fault. But, well, I'll blame my, I'll blame my children. <laughs> Why we're doing a second half. I'll blame my children. Blame my children. Yes. They're, uh, they're being raised by some pretty, uh, terrible parents. So they were, <laughs> they were, uh, out of control. No, I don't know. Somebody was melting down the, towards the end of our uh, our last show, so we called it early, and uh, so we're we're here for part two, which is probably a good thing because I think part one was still like forty five minutes. So, um, got lots of content on the Pacific Division. If you did not listen to that episode, go back. Um, I don't think there's any uh, screams, blood like blood, bloody murder from children um, in the background. I, I don't think you can hear any of that, but. Uh, it was it was the children getting on my wife, not the other way around. So you know, she's just she's only three too. I can't I can't imagine what's going to happen when she's ten. Um. Okay. Well, Justin, here we go. Seattle Kraken. Let's jump right in. Did I lose you? Or are you there? Nope. Nope. Still here. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. We'll shake the morning. Uh, morning rust off um well, well yeah we'll jump right into the seattle kraken um this was probably the, what the most unexpected turnaround that we've seen in a long time a team that missed the playoffs by uh quite a few points and they they go and they have a uh, over 30 point turnaround about and so uh what do you think about this team coming into this year because it's very different like when you come in with no expectations and you uh and you blow people's socks off. Okay, fair. But now you're coming into this season and there are some big expectations. This team is playoffs or bust, probably looking to win a round. So the expectations are much different. What do you think about this team coming into a team for a year full of expectations? Yeah, I, I don't know if we, we'd say expectations as in Stanley Cup or bust, but no, no, for, no, but playoff, yeah. playoffs or bust. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think playoff expectations are more than reasonable for this team. Uh, the difference is, you know, their first year uh, only managed to put up 60 points in the standings. And, and it, clearly, it you know, when you have a whole bunch of, I don't know if you want to call them castaways, but uh, guys that were basically given away by other teams in the expansion draft, um, you come in kind of with a little bit of your chip on your shoulder, but they didn't really have, you know, that chemistry and that time to bond that a lot of these teams do, where like teams like Toronto, right? They've They've had Tavares, Nylander, Marner. All these guys have been playing together for so many years now, right? So they, they developed that chemistry. And so uh, we, we kind of saw that take shape a little bit more last year, which was great to see. Uh, you know, they end up 100 points in the standings, a 40-point increase. So, um, you know, I'm more excited, really, to see where they, they go next from here, right? Because now that they've got a couple of years under their belt together, essentially it's the same squad from the last two years, you know, outside of, you know, a couple – little additions and, and, you know, Maddie Beniers and, you know, we'll, we'll see what this team does. Now I am maybe more than anything else interested to see this year with Seattle. Not, not only do they make the playoffs, but what happens with 
Shane Wright Shane is my Wright. my biggest question mark. Um, I know he'll probably my expectations is he'll probably spend most of the season to start in the AHL, and um, where he goes from there is is anyone's guess, I guess. Which honestly, for for what you have on this team, which is essentially a bunch of I'll say like middle middle six forwards, right? Like there's not a sure. ton of top line talent here. You know, Jared McCann can pass for a for a top line. T- I mean, guy had forty goals last year. N- nothing to shake your head at. So obviously, he's uh, he's in that top line area. I don't know that I would go as far to say that Jared McCann is elite quite yet. Like, do this again, and maybe, and I I may change my tune on him. Um, but there's been there has been players who. who are not elite players and they end up with uh, with a lot more goals than than what you expect because the system around him just works. Um, I, I guess I'd say that Maddie Beneers is probably the has the most potential out of anybody in their top six right now. Uh, but when I consider Shane Wright and what he likely brings to the table, it's probably at this stage in his career another middle six forward, which they don't really need. So. There's no reason why he shouldn't. Even if he has a great camp, they need to just send him down. They don't really need him up th- at this point. So you say go go down, l- like work on all those little port parts of your game that you won't have time to work on in the NHL. Get exactly. extra attention. Like work on your defensive game. You're going to get called up. Someone's going to get hurt. He can freewheel. There's no waivers for him. You can send him up and down. So I, I think you take your time. You give him 20, 20, 30 games in the AHL. Bring him up when there's an injury. And, you know, if, if you just tell him, hey, you're going to go back down, but you're up here for now, make the most of it. And if things go really well, then you can keep him up. And then you're almost guaranteed, hey, we're going to, like, you'll be up here towards the end. Like, coming into the playoffs, you know, assuming that you've taken strides, I, I would think that he'd be on the playoff roster, if, uh, assuming they're there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another guy, you know, I'm interested to see where he fits in this year, uh, Tyler Yamamoto. I, you know, obviously uh, given away to Detroit for salary cap purposes, and Detroit buys him out. Um, so he goes and signs a one year deal. It was a with, weird you know, move, was it not? Yeah, oh, like, yeah, absolutely. 25 points in 58 games. I mean, he, he's a, like a borderline 40 point player, and to just buy him out, uh, I, I mean, I get, it. you know, he was making, what, what was this? 3.1 million but uh, it seemed a little funny like yeah, for a team like Detroit, Detroit who could probably use a player like a 40 point player on their team. well yeah I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't keep him just for you know flipping him at the deadline kind of thing right I mean that that to me was was the bigger question mark I know they they essentially wanted Clem Costin uh was the whole point of that trade is sure. they wanted to get this guy over here for their for their bottom six but um yeah I I, I was kind of shocked to see him bought out, given that Detroit had the salary cap that could have hung on to him. Um, you yeah, know, remember Ely like, Tolvanen when he was picked right, up by Seattle, and and all he did was go and become a basically a fifty point player for them, eight points in their fourteen playoff games. Like he's a he's a forty forty to fifty point guy there now, and I think they're hoping to do the same with Kyler Yamamoto. Yeah, and and when you look at this Ford group up front, they have essentially too many forwards now with these two guys added because now where are you going to squeeze them in? You you have to assume that 
okay, you know, Maddie Beneers is going to be your top line center, and then you're probably going to have, you know, either Wenberg or, or Yanni Gord as your, your two, three center. But on the wings here, you've got Berkowski, Eberle, Schwartz, Bjorkstrand, uh, Jared McCann, Brandon Tanev, Yamamoto, Tolvin. And so you've got a, just a bevy of four. Yeah, there's eight. And, there's your fourth line, or all right, four and, lines. And then you still have Cole Lind and, and Pierre Edward Belmar. And, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I get you can maybe put a guy like Brandon Tanev on the fourth line, but do you really want to put Jaden Schwartz on your fourth line? Do you want to put Yamamoto on your fourth line? Probably not. No, and I mean, maybe this all, you know, potentially opens them up for uh, a trade down the road. But also this is kind of how they intentionally are constructed is that they, they're very deep because someone's going to get hurt and, and probably not just someone, it'll be someone's and, uh, and then you just slide guys right up. So I think they're intentionally designed like this. I don't think that, I don't think they look at this like it's a problem. Although Eberle is a UFA. And so was Wenberg. Uh, Wenberg less of an issue than than Jordan Eberle, uh, but you know Jordan Eberle's coming off a a sixty three point season for them. That's his his he had his best year since fourteen fifteen. <laughs> believe it or not, uh, it's hard hard to believe that I you know you really didn't hear too much uh, fanfare about Jordan Eberle. Like yeah, Jordan, it's Jordan Eberle. He's good, but yeah, having his best season in almost ten years, eight years. Uh, you got to think, I mean, yeah, he's he's 33, so he'll be 34 for his next contract. I would I would guess that they want to keep him, but probably not for more than a two-year deal at something similar to what he's making now. Um it'll it'll I mean, he's he's obviously he's a very important part to that top line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is a leader in the locker room. There's a reason he's got an A on his jersey, so um, you know, I I do wonder if, you know, the Crack and do name a captain finally this season, but uh, regardless, I, he is a leader in that locker room and a guy I think they do want to keep around for the next couple of years at least. While guys like Veneers and Shane Wright kind of, you know, find their path to, you know, I don't know if you want to call it being star players, but top line guys for this team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's shift to the defense because their defense, uh, Vince Dunn signs a a nice little extension there, uh, seven point three million. So he's uh, well on his way to. To making plenty of money here, a four-year deal it will take him right into to uh, what UFA status. Uh, it'll be at the end of that deal, thirty years old, so he can cash in again at the end of that deal. Which uh, the way his his trajectory is, he'll be cashing in again. Uh, what I mean, once again, their defense is kind of built like their forward group. They've got a bunch of middle six defensemen, second pairing style defensemen. Other than Vince Dunn, I think I'm willing to to uh, tip my cap and give him that uh, he's a first pairing kind of guy. I don't know if I would put him as a number one, but but pretty close to it if he's not. Uh, but then there's just a ton of number threes and fours, which is not a bad way to build your defense. It's clearly working for them. Uh, I just wonder, you know, is, is their depth enough? Because their depth does not necessarily extend the way that their forward group does. If, if one of these guys goes down... They don't have a whole lot behind, uh, you know, Dunn, Alexiak, Larson, Dumoulin, Schultz, and some combination of uh, William Borgen and and Cal Fleury, which Cal Fleury is still, I think, I think, I think the book's still out on whether or not Cal Fleury is really going to be anything. He only played 12 games last year, nine the year before. Uh, this is probably his last, last shot 
at anything uh, for Cal Flurry. Yeah, kale. I mean, yeah, Cal Flurry, right? But I, I mean, the one thing I will say is they do have, um, like you said, a lot of good number three defensemen, and so to me, is as long as guys stay healthy, I think they'll they'll be a cohesive group right there. And they're essentially these guys have all been playing together the last couple of years, so. Uh, the more you can keep these guys together and healthy, the better. I think they're going to function as a unit back there, and and really, you know, figuring out that that depth right is going to be obviously a concern. And when we talked about the amount of forwards they have up front, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there for in case you know a major industry in injury happens, right? Say Adam Larson goes down, he's probably your best defensive defenseman on this unit, and so if he goes down, uh, essentially you have an opportunity, maybe, or you know, you look at it and say, you know what, hey, can we? Can we maybe move a guy like, um, you know, Bjorkstrand or or Tanev? Well, probably not Tanev. He's a fan favorite out there. But maybe, a, you know, a Yamamoto and, and bring back a number four defenseman to fill in on that depth. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's that's definitely a possibility, too. Uh, I, I, I think probably ultimately is the biggest question the fact that uh, for the third year in a row, we're coming back with the same goaltending crew, other than Martin Jones not being here, who had a uh, – Everybody talked about how he kind of had this career turnaround um, when in reality he was still pretty, I mean, at best, at absolute best last season, he was average, right? 2.99 goals against 8.86 save percentage. I mean, I guess that that's pretty under average in terms of that save percentage. It was actually his worst save percentage of his career. <laughs> and everybody's talking about how he had such a good bounce back year. Yeah, he went 27-13-3, uh, which was a far cry from his 12-18-3 the year before in Philadelphia, but uh, an 8.86 save percentage, uh, minus 21.4 goals saved, uh, well, below expected, <laughs> above respect uh, for that. I mean, that's just, that's terrible. He, he truly has been one of the worst full-time goaltenders in the NHL over the last for like five six years <laughs> five years about five years yeah. last five years he's been quite bad i i mean how is this team now i i know he's gone and uh you're you're back with philip grubauer and chris dreger and grubauer had a nice little playoff but uh again they didn't they didn't like it was it was one playoff he still had a 903 save percentage not the best 895 over the course of the regular season my biggest question can this team make the playoffs again if they keep on getting this very mediocre to, I'd say, more like bottom 20 in the league's type of goaltending? And they did nothing to try and change it. Yeah, so so here's the funny part, right? We talked about their, their terrible goaltending, right? I, I mean, of course, you know, Martin Jones, to me, was not the, the savior that everybody hand him out to be yes he came out and he was hot for a small little stretch but then he immediately went back to typical martin jones which is why the numbers don't reflect you know the quality goaltender that everybody thinks he is and so um to me you know it's funny i I, when i look at some other numbers right obviously we know seattle can score they have the depth up front and if these guys can continue to play the way they did last year at the ford group you know scoring at the pace they did right they finished fourth in the nhl and goals for um but when you look at their goals against They actually, you know, when you look at the team that scored the most goals in the NHL, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, Seattle Kraken led in four less goals than the Edmonton Oilers. And nobody, I mean, yes, we're worried about Jack Campbell, but we're not essentially like looking at their goaltending situation and saying, oh man, they're, 
they're screwed. Like they're they're in big trouble. Whereas we look at Seattle, and we're like, oh man, they're they could be in a little trouble if they continue to play the way they did. So um, I still think they're a playoff team with the goaltending they have now. Do I think they need to improve on the goal goaltending? Absolutely. I, I think we need to see that Philip Grubauer that we had in the playoffs. I think Chris Drager needs to come back and and show us not necessarily give us fantastic numbers like he did in Florida, but be closer to that goaltender. Uh, that you were in Florida and the reason why that essentially Seattle, Seattle went out and got you and brought you in. Yeah. And, and I think it's, if, if uh Grubauer has another year where he's just a bum, uh, they could buy him out. Uh, they would, they would save a, a decent amount of money over the, the course, you know, their, his cap hit would go from 5.9 to, uh, what uh, basically less than a million, then 2.1, 3.2, 1.8, 1.8, 1.8. It, there would be a decent savings. It's more or less spread out. But if you needed that money, it would be an option uh, to buy out Philip Grubauer um, after this year. Obviously not right now. Uh, and then Phil, and then Chris Dreger is a, a UFA at the end of the year. I, I think it's very likely that he, he'll be gone and you know he'll he'll find a a small little place somewhere for a, a league min kind of deal at that point, because they've proven that that deal that he signed after having a, a solid year in Florida was definitely more or less a blip on the radar. Um, it just has not, I mean, he basically had 35 good games in the NHL. Yeah. And, reminds me of Scott Darling, like no offense to Scott Darling, but had a great year in Chicago, signed yeah. a massive deal and then flopped out. Yeah. And I mean, an eight, nine, nine save percentage on, on clearly now there, there is this other portion is that, Hey, you know, Dreger eight, nine, nine, you've got, uh, Martin Jones with an eight, eight, six and, and Philip Grubauer with, with a poor save percentage. Like maybe there's something to look deeper and go, well, maybe it's not all the goaltending. I mean, these couple goalies are kind of all in the same uh, Grubauer's 895 and, and Dreger's 899. So they're all in the same kind of category. It could be that their style of play is also affecting their save percentage, getting higher uh, danger chances against. And, and that, that definitely does play a factor. Willing to concede that a little bit, but it's not as if you know, taking away a few of those chances takes Philip Grubauer from being bottom of the barrel to one of the better goalies. That's I, I don't think I think it's it's reasonable to think that if you brought in a good goalie here, this would be a very good team as opposed to another year of like of being probably a playoff bubble. Even if they're even if they're solidly in the playoffs, um, I would still say that, you know, within that five points of the playoffs is still a bubble team. So I, I think it's likely that that's where they fall again because their depth is just unbelievable and no one can keep up with them. The one thing that I I'll say, if there's a reason they miss the playoffs, it's because more teams take them seriously more for more of the year. And uh, they end up not, not getting quite as hot. Remember last year, they had a, a couple stretches where they were just winning a ton of games. And I think teams just weren't ready for them. And teams are certainly going to be ready for the Kraken this year. All right, uh, let's move on to the... Oh, sorry, you didn't give your take. You didn't tell me. Oh, you, you did, I guess. You said they, they're they going to make the playoffs. Is that your... Yeah, I mean, I think they'll make the playoffs, but I do think they're going to be that last wild card spot. Essentially, I, I think Calgary's going to end up jumping them at some point this year, but uh, like you said, with teams taking them more seriously, I think Seattle's going to be fighting off one of those you know uh, central power teams like Winnipeg 
or St. Louis and, and essentially getting in there at the playoffs at the end, but doing it by a slim margin. Okay, yeah. So, and, and you have five teams making it from the Pacific, so that... Uh, I do, yep. <clears throat> that helps. Okay, let's move on to the Los Angeles Kings, who finished third in this division last year. Uh, they were they were basically going back and forth with the Edmonton Oilers for a while there as to you know who's going to get home ice advantage. Um, and then the Oilers, of course, pulled away pretty handedly at the end. And uh, for the second year in a row, the LA Kings lose in the first round to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, which is... It's sort of unfair, you know, the Edmonton Oilers have done this before. I think it's more to the Winnipeg Jets. Like, the Winnipeg Jets had a really good team in the 80s, and they just kept playing the Oilers in the first round every time. And not that I'm comparing this Oilers iteration to uh, Gretzky, Messier, Curry, all those guys, or Paul Coffey and Grant Fuhr, but it does suck when you have to play (laughs) a team like that in round one that is just going to... I mean, they're going to go all out there. That's a tough team to play in round one. So uh, now the Kings find themselves in a, a spot where they've made the playoffs two years in a row. And I think this year, it's not just make the playoffs. It's got to be, we got to win a round, maybe two. And let's make a run for the first time in almost 10 years, really go and make a playoff run. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think when you bring in a guy like Pierre Dubois, um, you know, you're making a statement saying, hey, we're here for real. We're a legit contender. We, you know, and, and we're also setting ourselves up for future success, too. Right. I mean, Anze Kopitar signed an extension for two years at seven mil. And I think that kind of foreshadows where things are going, where, hey, you know what? He's slowly going to be I don't transitioned into maybe like the number two guy and, and let Dubois be that number one center. But, um, you know, this team, like, similar to Seattle, I think, has a lot of depth at the Ford group. But where I think, you know, Seattle has guys that maybe had never really done a lot before. To me, when you look at LA's Ford group, they're guys that can all do it and have done it. Yes, yes, that that is very true. I mean, it's, it's a unique situation to be on a team that uh, a lot of, you know, your big name players stuck around for a rebuild. And uh, and I, they're, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll be rewarded for it from their perspective. Um, what you said about Kopitar and Dubois and, and maybe kind of switching that number one center uh, spot. The unique thing that LA has is almost you've got this um, offensive firepower in Dubois and then you have this defensive juggernaut with Kopitar and Deneau. So you've got this ability end of the game if you're down you could put Dubois out there. You can I mean you can also have Kopitar out there. That's not a bad option the way that guy can still uh, dish the puck. But when you're when you're up, you know you can put out Deneau. You can cycle between Deneau and Kopitar in the in the last couple minutes. And if you feel like you need to leave Dubois on the bench, it's not a big deal. And I mean, you've got the defensive centers to do it. You can also toss Dubois on the wing very easily. He's played the wing uh, before, and so to be able to have that option and load up with Kopitar, Dubois, and Deneau at the end of a game. Being able to have three capable defensive centers, like I think Dubois' defensive game is probably a little underrated. Uh, not that I think he's winning any Selkies anytime soon, but even on some pretty bad teams, he he managed to be out on the ice for uh, you know, like when you look at his plus minus, he's in a good position uh, almost every every year. I mean, he's always been a guy who's been at least somewhat responsible in his own zone. And has has killed a few penalties in his day, and so I think there's a 
a unique situation for LA to be able to load up with three defensive centers at the end of a game, which could be kind of, I mean, it's something that we don't really ever see, but maybe there's the options there to load up with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got probably some of the best center depth in the NHL right now with those three guys. Um, I don't know if there's, you know, you could compare them to almost any other team. And, uh, you know, assuming that maybe you put Ryan Nugent Hopkins down the middle, right, on that third line, which he's probably not going to be playing this year. But um, Yeah, that yeah, would be the one the one that would trump it. <laughs> McDavid, yeah, Dreisaitl, and, and Nugent Hopkins. There, there you go. But this is a scary top three center group to play against. And the, the crazy part is, is they still have younger guys that are still coming up and, and going to be transitioning into full-time NHLers. And even at the center depth, I mean, you've got Alex Turcott who's still young and, and hungry and same with Quentin Byfield. He's a guy who's kind of still discovering where he fits in this lineup, but he's still growing. And I think, you know, that to me is going to be the bigger question mark this year is, you know, who is Quentin Byfield? Because we've seen him now for essentially two full NHL seasons. And as long as he can stay healthy, I think, uh, you know, he has an opportunity to, to end up being a top six guy for this, this team somewhere in the next couple of years and being a legit threat offensively. So, um, you know, we'll see if he truly is going to be the number two overall pick that he that he was, or if he's going to be, you know, kind of looked at like Alex Lafreniere and kind of like a question mark, like, hey, what what really is this? Yeah, and, and with Byfield in particular, I think there's there's probably few players in the National Hockey League that were more affected from a career arc standpoint by uh, all the COVID cancellations, and uh, his career just took a took a bad turn because of just not getting that that skating time. I mean, you look at I mean, he's been in he's been in the league since 2020-21. And he's played 99 games in the National Hockey League. Now, some of that's due to injury, some of that's due to, you know, shortened season, and when you look at what he's played outside of the league, I mean, I think it totals uh 48, 59, 66 games. So, I mean, it's, it's not a, a ton of hockey to be playing for a guy who's developing. I, I just think his development got kind of screwed up. And so with Quentin Byfield in particular, I'm, I think I'm willing to give him a little bit extra time to try and see if he can develop. I, I, he could be somebody who at 23, 24 uh, really blossoms into himself. I, I see him this year kind of as like this is really his second year in the NHL. That's how I'm viewing this year. Because he, you know, okay. he's, got, he's got 99 games under his belt, but uh, last year he had that injury, and, and I mean he he made it back for the playoffs. So uh, four points in six games in the playoffs. If he can continue that kind of point production in the regular season, I mean you're looking at a 50, 60 point season, uh, which would be fantastic, and I think uh, LA fans would be uh, more than more than pleased if he could put up those kind of numbers, but I'm looking at this as this is Quentin Byfield's second year. Is how I'm gonna I'm gonna personally look at it okay. from a development I don't hate standpoint. It. Yeah, I don't hate it because he's still he's still young and you still got time with this guy, right? I mean, he has he still has the size, he still has the speed. I mean, he can play center, he can play on the wing, so you have time to let this guy basically find out where he fits best in this team. Yeah, and you've got tons of guys ahead of him who, I mean, I, I think it's more likely that he probably ends up on the wing, which is probably where he needs to be anyways because of his size. It, it probably just makes more sense to have him play the wing, and uh, maybe later in his career you can try him at center again, but you don't really need him to play center. Uh, with, you know, you've got Deneau signed for another four years, you've got Kopitar here for another three and Luke Pierre-Luc Dubois for 
eight. So there's just no reason that he needs to play center. I think putting him on the wing and having him learn the defensive positions of the wing to just like have that hammered in and just say, like, forget about the center position for right now. We're going to focus on the wing. I think that that would honestly be the best move for his career. Unless you think that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to move to the wing or, you know, one of these center like Kopitar or Deneau, if you think particular Kopitar, a lot of times these older centers, they do shift to the wing eventually because it is uh, a harder responsibility at center. But I don't think that's happening this year for Kopitar, who's <laughs> no. still in the, like consistently in the Selkie conversation. So I, I think it's just best to assume, hey, Quinton Byfield's a left wing and and play that left side hard. You know, go go score some goals and uh, and use your body. Yeah, and and you mentioned Kopitar right there. He's been playing on Kopitar's wing all last year, and so if there's anybody to learn the center position from, I mean, Kopitar's the guy you want him to learn from. He's just he Absolutely. knows how to play both ends. So he's decent um, defensively too. I hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's shift to their defense because I I think I mean obviously the biggest. Uh, most interesting portion of this defense is a potential Calder Trophy winner, and that is Brant Clark, who is finally going to make his. Uh, what feels like it's been forever. I know he was only he's only drafted in twenty twenty one, but it just felt like uh, things have been brewing for him. And uh, he had an amazing playoff last year twenty three points in 12, 12 games with the Barry Colts in the OHL. Um, had an outrageous regular season, 61 points in 31 games, 23 goals. Uh, I this this kid's the real deal, and LA's defense is about to, I think, change for the next 10 years here uh, with Brant Clark. Uh, given the rest of the lineup, Drew Doughty, they they signed Gavrikov. You know, you got Mikey Anderson and Matt Roy. Uh, I think that Brant Clark probably slides into that second pairing and you're, I mean, you're going to give him every opportunity on the power play to really spark this offense, which I think is probably if there's anything that was missing from last year, it was the blue line chipping in on offense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think, you know, again, you, you have an opportunity with when you you talked about that right side, Matt Roy, Drew Doughty, right? Matt Roy is still going to be a quality second pairing guy, but you have that flexibility now with, with Clark in there where you can move these guys back and forth between the second and third pairing. You can give Clark that, you know, that number two power play time. You can have him come in and kind of just slowly creep, you know, through the rest of the year uh, up that lineup and eventually, you know, have that opportunity to take over in the next couple of years to be that, that number one guy I, I suspect he's going to be. And, um, you know, again, I, I think, you know, by having him sheltered on that third line, you don't have to rush him in here like some teams do with, you know, a high pick like him. Uh, you can have him learn the game responsibly the right way and have him just be ready to go full force when they need him to. Yeah, and that's the, uh, you know, when you look at their defense from last year, I know that Sean Dersey's out. Uh he was the only other player besides Drew Doughty with more than 30 points on that defensive side. Next was Matt Roy with 26 points. Mikey Anderson had 20. Uh, Sean Walker with 13. And then, you know, Alexander Edler, 11. Uh, I know Gavrikov is only there for uh, for 20 games, but Gavrikov, I you know, I, I think he's probably, if there's anybody else that has potential um, to have over 30 points, it would be him. 
Uh, he had he only had 19 last year between Columbus and L.A. But uh, there isn't a whole lot of offense from this back end. They lose Sean Dersey, so but Brant Clark comes in here. I think that there's a chance uh, that he puts up the most points by a defensive rookie that we have seen in a very long time. Oh, that's bold. Now, what did uh, let's see what Kale McCarr in his rookie year? What did he? What what points did he put up? Let's see here. Uh, what what do you think of LA's goaltending situation? While I look this up, uh, Phoenix Copley, Cam Talbot coming back with a, a different look from last year. No more Jonathan Quick. Is this goaltending group going to be good enough? Well, I guess this is it's kind of that question again with uh, you know with Seattle being right there. Uh, you know, is their goaltending going to be good enough, and can they stay healthy to to make a run at the playoffs and to be good enough to to win a round? Yeah, that's the question, right? I, I do think this is a team um, that historically has played a more defensively tight, you know, uh, hard-checking game. And and they're going to end up, you know, they, last year they were 16th in the league as far as goals against. And I think they're probably going to be somewhere towards the middle. But um, I think Cam Talbot is the type of goaltender that thrives when he does have uh, a more solid defensive team in front of him. And I think he's going to get that with the center depth they have and the guys they have playing in their bottom six, they'll, they'll have that opportunity to give him good defensive minutes. Um, and, and I think Cam Talbot kind of has been shunned or cast aside almost the last couple of years. I mean, look, he, he was in Minnesota, played very, very well. They bring in Marc-Andre Fleury and sort of cast him out of there. And so he has to go to Ottawa. Um, they, you know, obviously had defensive inefficiencies there. So um, not necessarily his fault or any kind of struggles that he had. I thought he played well enough in Ottawa. But then, you know, again, when – you know, push came to shove. They just kind of let him loose too and said, you know what, we're, we're passing on you. I mean, he is up there in age and maybe that was kind of part of the, the reason maybe he wanted a, a longer extension, um, you know, wanted more money, but it, it does get risky with guys in that age, especially with injuries in this goaltending position. But I think Cam Talbot's going to be a guy that's going to come in, solidify that goaltending position for them. Uh, I like the tandem with Copley there. I think he was a good one B to have. And, um, you know, again, these, these guys are not spring chickens. They're not young guys. So, um, you know, you have to manage their minutes the right way. And I think by giving them maybe a, a 50, 35 split with, you know, Cam Talbot getting close to 45, 50 games, I think is going to be the right way to approach it. Um, you know, now again, when you look at what they have in the minor leagues, they've got David Riddich. So if for some reason, right, one of these guys go down, they do have a capable number three to come up who has seen starter minutes in the past. So, um, a guy I'm not worried about coming in and stepping in to handle any kind of minutes because, again, let's face it, it's anything's better than Jonathan Quick at this point. So I think the goaltending is definitely improved, and I, I do think in the long run we'll see better numbers out of this group. Yeah. Uh, Cam Talbot, definitely no stranger to playing a lot of games, though. So, he, I mean, it has been a minute since he's played a lot of games, um, but 16-17 he played 73 regular season games and another 13 playoff games. Uh, 17, 18, he played 67 games. And uh, 21, 22 is the last time he played more than 40. He played 49 plus a playoff game. Uh, that was the year that Mark Andre Fleury came in and uh, stole his show. I, I think he's got a lot to prove. I mean, he has been on since 18, 19, he's been on six teams. <laughs> Is since the 18-19 season. He's on Edmonton, Philadelphia, Calgary, Minnesota, and Ottawa. The longest he stayed with one team was Minnesota for two seasons. 
So uh, he's bounced around a lot. He's got his one-year prove-it deal. And, uh, I mean, I know he's 36, so there's not not exactly a whole lot he can do in terms of getting long-term deals. But, hey, if he has a nice season here, he could get another 3 to $4 million contract with his next one. And, uh, I, I mean, I think this is hopefully a nice last hurrah and he finally kind of finds a home here in LA and, and can win, uh, in, in some way. So, uh, by the way, I, I did, I pulled up the most points for a a rookie defenseman in a, in a season. Um, do you know who has the most points for as a rookie in a one regular season? Yes. Who are we talking the salary cap era or all time? Uh, All time. Oh, okay. Um, it's actually a former LA King. It happened on the LA Kings. It happened on the LA Kings. Wow. Yes. Um, and Uh, he, he eventually did play for the Detroit Red Wings. Jeez. Uh, Larry Murphy, Larry Murphy, 76 points in 80 games in 1980, 81. Uh, second most is Brian Leach at 71. He did that in 68 games though. Uh, and then Gary Suter for the Calgary Flames uh, in 85-86. So, uh, okay. But the last time, so the the highest point total for a rookie defenseman in the salary cap era, do you know who that is? Ooh, I'm in the salary cap era. Yep. Um, mm. It was not, yeah. I'll give you a hint, it's not Kale okay. McCarr, but it was the same rookie year. Quinn Hughes? Yes, it was Quinn Hughes. 53 yeah. points in 63, okay. 68 games for... Uh, and Kale McCarr had 50 and 57 that year. You know, that was the COVID year. <laughs> 50, they, they both would have probably shattered <laughs> some of these other records. Had uh, Especially Kale McCarr. I mean, 57 games. Had he played a full 82 slate, I mean, it's likely he, he could have contended with Larry Murphy. Uh, I don't know that Brant Clark is able to go and go after Larry Murphy. I'm not willing to say that, but I do think that Brant Clark could very well become the highest scoring defensive rookie uh, in the salary cap era and, and eclipse wow. could use. I think, he, okay, I think he's going to be that good. I wouldn't go good. that far, but... He's going to be that good. <laughs> Which would, I, I would be, be 54 points. If you can put up 54 yeah. points, he'll tie, uh, tie Denny Potvin for the 13th best offensive rookie year. Okay, I would be happy to see him get 35 points this year. So, Well, I'm setting the bar a little higher. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Kings, you got you have them in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they're battling uh, for that number three spot. I, I think, you know, the, the two teams ahead of them aren't necessarily that much further ahead in terms of standings uh, than they are, but I, I do think ultimately the Kings will just slide back into that number three spot. Okay, I, I'm going to make a, a little bit of a bold prediction here for the Kings. Uh, I I love the combination of veterans and, and youngsters, and uh, I, I actually like what they're doing at, on the, at the goaltending position. They they only spent two and a half million bucks on their goaltending. Uh, they could always go out and trade for a goaltender later if there's an injury because they have, uh, you know, they, they haven't spent that much on their goaltending. And I think it's it's would be easy to me to get rid of Victor Arvidsson. I think you could you could find a way to to move his contract if you want to. I guess I mean he did have a really nice playoff last year, but um, he is a UFA at the end of the year. So if you did need to move somebody, I mean there's. 
he's he's always an option if you had to bring in a goaltender because I think you could trade Victor Arvidsson if some of your young guys were really stepping up and, and having great years and you said, you know what, we don't we don't really need Victor Arvidsson. He's expensive. Uh if if you only if you needed to go out and get a goalie, uh, I could I could see that being an option because um, otherwise they don't really have much cap space at all. Um, but I I think this team for much of the year is going to be sitting in the one two spot in the Pacific. Uh, I I think this is probably the, the year that they I think they'll jump Vegas. I think that. Uh, Vegas is going to slide a little bit. We'll talk about that, but I think they'll they're going to jump Vegas and they will sit in the number 2 spot when all is said and done. Um, I think they're they're just going to keep on taking another step and that natural progression is to uh to contend for that top spot in the division. I like I think they'll be right there. If they don't win the division, it'll be, you know, a 3 point 3 4 point difference between the the top and the Kings. I, I think they're it. going to be that good. All right, let's go Edmonton Oilers. They finished second in the division last year and uh, a disappointing second-round loss to the Vegas Golden Knights, who ultimately went on to win the Stanley Cup. And uh, we're, we're pretty much rolling it back. Uh, not, much, not much changed about the Oilers other than you know adding Connor Brown, who I really like. And uh, from a, a defensive standpoint, they kind of did their, adjust, their uh, additions during the... Uh, trade deadline last year when they added Matthias Ekholm and we're going to run it back with Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner. Let's start there is uh, I mean, they don't really have much of a choice <laughs> with, with Jack Campbell. They have to run it back. Uh, what do you think of Jack Campbell's chances of turning this ship around and getting back to his at least average to above average goaltending that we had seen for the previous three, four seasons? Yeah, I do think uh, you mentioned one name in there, right? Matthias Ekholm. I think the addition of having a guy like him on the blue line is going to help this goaltending a ton, right? When you have, you know, speaking from, you know, what little experience I have playing goal, right? When you have solid defensemen in front of you that you can rely upon, you play a little bit looser, you play a little bit more at ease, and you're not so worried about, you're not gripping that stick a little tighter. You know, you're not trying to, I guess, you know, play irresponsibly and trying to flop everywhere to make that save, right? Because you're just so desperate. You're, you know, having constant two-on-ones coming at you, that kind of stuff. Um, I think, you know, again, with the emergence of Stuart Skinner, I think that him playing a few more games than Jack Campbell, I think they're going to probably put Campbell in a 35- to 40-game role and give Stuart a few more games. And I think because of that, Jack Campbell necessarily, because he has his money and he's, you know, I, I don't necessarily think he's going to be uh, thinking about potentially being bought out, although I do think that will be a possibility if he has another down year. But I think he's going to come in and with a little less pressure um, and just go out there and play his game. And I think eventually he'll get back and have some decent numbers because to me, he's just a solid 1B goaltender. I don't think he's anything more than that. You, They they obviously overpaid and expected him to be, you know, that, that number one, you know, here 60 games for you, Jack Campbell kind of guy. And uh, to me, that's not who he is and what he's capable of. And so I think if they can relegate his minutes to keep him at, you know, 35, 40 games and give a bulk of the the games to Stuart Skinner with his defense now, I think he'll he'll be okay. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I, I think that's exactly why the Leafs didn't pay him the money that he wanted for the length of time that he was looking for because they didn't see him as a pure number one. They knew that he would need to be 
shadowed by somebody else who could pick up the slack and play 30 to 40 games alongside him, which is not a knock on him. It's just he's that's just who what kind of goalie he is. Uh, he did have a really nice stretch uh, towards the end of the year. You know, he had a really, really rough start. He was letting in a lot of goals. Uh, but in terms of like being able to battle, uh, he had an I mean, he won eight games in a row. Then he went and he lost two in a row in a shootout and then and then one in OT, um, which is what it is. Uh, then he lost a couple and then he, he finished the year winning four in a row. So really he won like 12 of his last 17 games and three of those games were in a shootout or overtime. So he was what? He was 12, two and three in his last uh, his last several games. So I, that's that's fine. You know, if, if your goalie's winning you those types of games, when you look at his stats, even over the the course of the whole year where he played so terrible, uh, he still played better than Martin Jones and everybody wanted to um, celebrate Martin Jones's resurgence. So right. I, I think it's, it's fair to say that he, he'll likely have a better season this year with the Oilers because of your right, because of Matthias Ekholm, a better, like a more complete year from Evan Bouchard, who's uh, I, it's already better defensively than Tyson Berry ever has been in his entire freaking career. So I, I think that's a huge upgrade. Uh, and, you know, uh, the Darnell Nurse probably has a bounce back year in terms of the way that, you know, he defends. I think maybe just signing that big contract, there can be a lot of pressure that comes with that. And we've seen a lot of guys sign these big deals and then they, they kind of take this strange step backwards where you're like, what the frick happened to you? And uh, I I think there's a good chance that Darnell Nurse is able to be, be better. Is he a $9.25 million defenseman? No. They overpaid him probably to keep him. Uh, but I think he can still be a good top four defenseman. And I, I think that we'll see a bounce back here from him too. And yeah, all absolutely. of that will turn into better goaltending performances uh, from both Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner throughout the entire year. Uh, and I honestly, the addition to Connor Brown in that top nine is going to make such a difference for the Oilers because, well, he doesn't necessarily score tons of goals. You know, he had 21 goals in 56 games in 2021. Um, 10, 10 goals two years ago, and of course last year the injury and, and whatnot. He he did put up no points in the four games he was in, but uh, Connor Brown is somebody who can really just spice up a line. I mean, he he's not going to quote-unquote drive a line, but he's going to create a ton of energy. He can kill penalties, and he's kind of that Swiss Army Knife style type of player that maybe the Edmonton Oilers have been missing. And I think you can slot him in all over the place. You know, you could, you're, you're probably not going to go and try and play him alongside McDavid and Dreisaitl at all. But if you needed to, he could play up there, but he can also play all throughout the lineup. He could play on your fourth line all the way up to your first line. And I, I think that having a player like that is invaluable. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I, I think he'll be a nice addition and provide some depth, which is what Edmonton for what the last 20 years has been. Looking for a little bit of depth, it seems yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think they'll need it this year, too, because um, when I look at you know a lot of guys like Zach Hyman, 
Ryan Nugent Hopkins, right? They all had career years last year, right? Yeah, I don't think Zach we're looking Hyman, at 104 points again from Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen unless he gets 60 points on the power play, uh, which actually is possible. Oh, it's very possible, team. yeah. Um, we might get 60 power play points from Evan Bouchard on the power play the way he plays back there, but... Um, I mean, you just have to look at the the way the playoffs went. You know, Nugent Hopkins, 37 goals in the regular season, and in 12 playoff games, he had one goal. Yeah. And and I think that that's not necessarily – I think he's better than that. Um, That would be like an eight-goal season. Uh, But I I think that he's he's a 20-goal guy. You know, throughout his career, that's about what he's averaged is 20 goals, like 233 goals in 801 games, basically a 20-goal guy. Uh so I think he'll probably regress to the mean a little bit. And with the way points have gone up, the way their power play is, he's probably still sitting at a point per game. But I don't think we're seeing the century mark again for Nugent Hopkins, which does mean that somebody else likely needs to pick up the slack. I think somebody like Connor Brown. I think that um, I think Evander Kane could be better. I think there's a chance that he has a little bit better of a he needs to be uh, offensive year, hopefully. <laughs> 28, only 28 <laughs> points. So I think that if you have that balance out, that it, it'll be okay for the Oilers. They're still going to be the highest scoring team in the NHL. Um, you know, It's like a guaranteed top five, and I'd be willing to put a good, a good chunk of money on them being the highest scoring team again. Yeah, yeah, I would too. I think between them and Toronto, right, they're going to be – they're going to be up there, but I do think they'll be better defensively. And ultimately, that's why I think, um, you know, adding guys like Connor Brown, I'm, I'm hoping that Dylan Holloway takes another step forward uh, and is closer to the guy I think he, the player he can be. Um, and, and with that said, bringing in, you know, guys on, you know, PTOs like Brandon Sutter, Adam Ernie, and Sam Gagne, I think these are guys that are going to provide good depth. Assuming that, you know, they sign one or two of these guys, I think they'll add good depth to their bottom six. And, um, you know, ultimately, I, I do think with this improved defense, hopefully I'm thinking this, I think Edmonton is poised to be the, the top team in this division next year. I would agree. That's exactly where I have them as well. Uh, I do really hope that Brandon Sutter has a, a comeback and that he's able to sign a deal. That would just be awesome. He hasn't played a pro game since uh, the early days of 2021, and uh, it would be good to see him make that comeback after uh, the yep. injury that he sustained. So uh, that'd be fun. Sam Gagne has always been somebody who like, he's going to find a job, whether it's with the Oilers or somebody else. Uh, he He's just, he's one of those guys, you know, he can, he can bounce around and he can slide up in your lineup somewhere and, and he's going to be who he is. You know what he is. He's been in the league forever. Uh, and Hey, for his money, he does have the best offensive game <laughs> in the last like 25 <laughs> years. <laughs> what do you have? Nine was it eight points or nine points that he had? Eight points. Eight scored points, five yeah. goals. I That's remember right. that. Yeah, that was crazy. Was so vividly. So fun. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's move on to the last team that we have in the Pacific Division. It's the Vegas Golden Knights. Of course, the Vegas Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup for the first time in their history last season, and they largely did it on the backs of their monster defense, uh, super mobile, super big, clogged up the middle, and made it hell for any team trying to get through. The Florida Panthers uh, ran into a literal wall with the Vegas Golden Knights. The way that they play, I just wonder if it... it, it they kind of remind me of... 
very good teams throughout the years where, you know, like the like the Tampa Bay Lightning, they kind of just could coast for a little while in the in the regular season and you go, "Oh, wait, what? Are they why aren't they they're not doing that well?" And then they could just kind of come on at the end of the season, make the playoffs, and that's all that mattered. And I think that Vegas is probably going to be the same way. Like you can't play the way Vegas played in the playoffs all year long. So, you're 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 banking on uh, other ways to play throughout the regular season, you know, you're going to get up for big games and, and whatnot, but, uh, and you, and your play, your big defensemen are always going to be big, but it's, I think going to be a regular season where you go, okay, Vegas is definitely getting in. Uh, they're not going to have the injuries that they had the two years ago where they missed. Um, I still expect them to have over a hundred points in the regular season. I think they just comfortably get in. I don't think they care where they slot and, they're just going to they'll hop in the playoffs and they know they can beat anybody literally anybody in the NHL i think they can they can beat it doesn't mean that i think they're going to win the cup but i think that they're a confident group they they should be they added barbashev they've got that forward depth jack campbell's healthy mark stone's healthy and uh, the really the only guy they lost was riley smith and they they walk in here with probably the deepest defense group in the league just very few question marks for this team other than you know hey can their goalies get it done throughout a whole year which are we really that concerned about this team's goalies because of how they play in front of them now I'll stop talking (laughs) I mean goaltending first I'll start there Um, not concerned at all with the goaltendings right we everybody forgets um, you know how good of a playoff Aiden Hill really had um, he obviously earned that contract. And when you look at the the analytics on his numbers, he was much, much better uh, than his numbers actually appear to have. And to me, I, I think he was the consummate trophy winner, in my opinion. But, um, ah, you know, again... I, I hate giving that stuff to goalies. Uh, get off it. Um, I hate it. It's but it's, it's like it's like giving the MVP to the quarterback every year. Oh, come on. Um, they, it's there's true. actually not, I mean, you look at it, though, and like, yeah, quarterbacks get it every year, but goaltenders rarely they don't no, get it that much that that's um, because yeah but on this team there were i think there were it, it was it was uh there was a couple guys i would have given it to over aiden hill because aiden hill only played 16 games well regardless um he didn't even play an entire round well, i'll give you that i mean he's always been the guy that steps in and kind of uh you know saves your team right i mean he did that in phoenix and now he came in here in vegas and kind of save their bacon there and yeah he's forget, always been though, a decent goalie yeah and he's finally getting paid i think you know it was a good move to only give him two years because this is a guy who you know i'm confident will play to the the level that his that he's getting paid to play at but um you know again he's 27 years old i'm i don't know he doesn't have a long enough resume for me to feel comfortable giving him you know six seven years whatever um so this will work out nice he'll be 29 and he can still go out and sign another big money deal um, but the big thing, question mark, and we we all forget is Logan Thompson was an all star last year. So um, you still got this guy under contract for two more years at a you know three quarters of a million dollars. So you got to get some good value Just out of dirt. this guy. <laughs> when I look at his I, salary, I'm like, is that isn't that uh, below the league minimum? <laughs> what's you the would le- think. <laughs> what's the league minimum? Uh, it's, I think it's like 725 or something like that. Is it 725? Wow, man. Yeah. 766. Uh, 
Because I, I feel like other guys are signing 775, and that's always what I see. That's like the rookie minimum, 7775. <laughs> he, no, making... 750 is the league minimum. Oh, okay, now, 750. So. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, I mean, I like Logan Thompson. I think that he's he's he is a good one B goaltender. He's on a really good team, so I think his stats are uh, shaded towards playing it playing behind a really nice defense. But I, I think he's a good goalie, and uh, yeah, I don't have any question marks about their goaltending. Uh, if one of these guys goes down, it'll be okay. I don't think that Robin Leonard is ever coming back. That's kind of the it vibe that I seem get. Like it. Yeah, very, very strange. What a weird... And you want to talk about lucky in some respects? Vegas goes from Marc-Andre Fleury, and they go, actually, we're going to have Robin Leonard. Actually, Robin Leonard is 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 out of his mind. Uh, and then somehow they stumble into Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill. <laughs> and after having... Remember, like they were so bad at the backup position with Malcolm Subban and like using yep. <laughs> so many different goaltenders and they just kind of happen to stumble upon these two guys and what do you know they're both all-star goalies and but you know cons my potentials kind of like, like just uh good on them uh yeah it's a good problem to have <laughs> yes yes I I their defense I mean it's just unreal I mean they're their third pairing of uh is basically half White Cloud and Hague. half oh the gosh. team's league's top pair or uh, second pairing. That's how good they are. So, uh, I I think it goes without saying. You know, this defense is very good. I don't really have any questions. I mean, there's it's very rare that a team returns all six defensemen from the year before, especially a Stanley Cup winning team. You know, right. usually you've got one guy who's like, well. Thanks for the cup. I've got to go get paid. But just so happens all of them are under contract. Good on them. And, uh, you know, Martinez is going to be up for an extension. I'm sure that they, uh, they'll they happily bring him back at the end of the year, assuming that he stays healthy. He is 36. He'll probably be on one-year deals the rest of his career. Um, but I guess from a forward standpoint, that's really where the question marks come from a roster construction because you've got Chandler Stevenson at 2.75 million who is due an extension and Jonathan Marcheseau, one of what, three guys, four guys left from the expansion draft. And uh, he's making 5 million bucks at 32 years old. He's going to be due for a raise. That's uh, my th- winner. Those are, I mean, Marcheseau, he will get signed. They're insane if they don't <laughs> resign him. Uh, but you could see them doing it, right? You just see them shipping him off somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's the Vegas mentality, right? We're like, okay, great, thanks for your service, but we're going on the next guy. Like, no, right, lo- I mean, right. not necessarily no loyalty, but they're going to do what's best for the team, and they're not worried about upsetting the fans, upsetting players, or the the locker room. Really, they're they're gonna. The, the bigger question mark you mentioned his name, Chandler Stevenson. This is a guy who has been so underrated. Uh, and signed a such a value contract oh the last few goodness. years. I think this guy is due for you know a, a seven eight million dollar contract. Some team's going to be crazy enough to pay him, and I, I think he's you know Vegas is not going to trade him at the deadline. They're going to hang on to him, um, but you know I think he's going to go out there and play his balls off to where he's going to put up seventy points and and get a massive deal from somebody. I would think so, and I don't think that now that would be the. Do you want Chandler Stevenson or do you want Jonathan Marcheseau? That's probably because if you if you take both their contracts, put them together, that's seven 
6.75. And that's probably right around where Chandler Stevenson signs. Uh, for uh, yep. you know, he'll be 30 years old. He probably signs up a, a three or four year deal, maybe maybe five if if uh, they want to get that AAV down. But you're probably choosing between those two guys when when all is said and done. Do you take your Do you take the center who probably is ultimately uh, maybe more valuable over the course of a regular season, or do you sign the guy who just won your Conn Smythe Trophy? <laughs> That's <laughs> That's a tough decision to make. Or, I mean, or can you jettison, you know, can you, do you find a way to just trade, uh, like a William Carlson? Yeah. William Carlson. Exactly. I'm finding a way to get rid of him so I can keep Chandler Stevenson around. Yep. That would, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not as if William Carlson is, uh, is, is a freeloader either though. He's a very important part of your offense. And, uh, that's, I guess the other side of it is, you know, Alec Martinez, he's going to be a UFA. You know, can you get him to take less? And I guess you've got, you've got Robin Leonard at 5 million. I, I well, no, they're, they're already using his, uh, his LDIR space to keep them under the, over the cap. Oh, uh, it's going to be a fun, it, it, that that's really the most, the most fun thing with them is what are they going to do with those guys? Between Martinez, Stevenson, Marcia So, somebody's got to sign um, for more and somebody's yeah. going to leave. And then you got to think beyond that, right? You've got Shea Theodore two years from now, a UFA who's going to command big money. Yeah, so. some big money, <laughs> big money. But are they lucky to have Zach Whitecloud at uh, 2.75 for the next five uh-huh. years? <laughs> what a steal. Oh, uh, where do you think Vegas is going to finish? Yeah, I, I'm similar to you. I, I think they're not trying to win the division by any means, right? They've won their cup, but they're just a team that knows we play so good um, at both ends of the ice that we just need to get in, right? Yep. So ultimately, I think they're just going to be in that 2-3 mix with with uh, Los, Los Angeles, and one of them will get home ice. Ultimately, I think Vegas does just because I think they're um, a little better of a team, obviously won the cup, but yeah, they'll, they'll finish number two behind Edmonton, who I think does not want to have to go through uh, you know, Vegas or Los Angeles in the first round because those are two really good defensive teams, and I don't think you know Edmonton wants to have to go through them in the first round again. All. Again, yeah, to win three again, times yes. in a row. It's like <laughs> back when Ottawa used to play the Leafs in the first round, and the Leafs would uh, rake them every time. Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I, I think this team. It, yeah, they're just going to ho hum through the regular season. I honestly, they're this. They're so good they could accidentally win the division. That's how good, that's how good I, I think this team is, um, and it, it, is it hard to believe for anyone else that uh, Jack Campbell's only twenty six years old? Why does it feel like Jack Campbell should be or sorry, Jack Eichel? Uh, why does it feel like Jack Eichel should be like thirty one right now? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's been in the 26. league a long time, and it's yeah. it, it's funny when when I was reading or listening to an interview, and they were mentioning when Brew Cassidy came in uh, that he was talking about like, hey, you know what, you can go out and score hundred points, but you need to play a little bit better at both ends of the ice, right? And so uh, rumor has it that Bruce Cassidy would walk up and down the aisles or the hallways of the you know, the arena, and as he's passed, passing Eichel, he's just like Patisse Bergeron, Patisse Bergeron, just whispering that in his ear. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, that is the Pacific Division. Uh, we made it. We've got one left to go, the Atlantic Division, and uh, then the start of the regular season. So uh, it's... It's going to be fun. We got actual real hockey to watch because God knows the preseason is unwatchable. Uh, 
<laughs> highlights only for me with the preseason. And Connor uh, Bedard, baby. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And uh, yes, we'll uh, we'll reconvene for the Atlantic. We'll do an Atlantic division show, and then we'll also split off the Leafs and the Red Wings since. We like to dive a little deeper into our own teams. And uh, until then, find us on Twitter at OT Hockey Talk. Justin, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy fixing up your house. Thank you. Enjoy your trip. I will. I will. Going to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan and going to uh, disappear in, and not have any cell service. So it'll be great. Love and, it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon.